Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The FT. The Autumn Statement, what it means for you and your finances. Welcome to a special edition of the FT Money Show. I'm Jonathan Ely and I'll be rounding up this week's Autumn Statement in downloadable form with the help of three very special guests, Christine Ross of SG Private Banking. Hello. Claire Evans of Deloitte. Hello. And Paul Emery of PwC. Hello. Now, last year, the Chancellor got a ticking off from an influential parliamentary committee for using the autumn statement, traditionally devoted to government spending measures, as a mini-budget. So this year, there were comparatively few new big tax measures, or at least few that we didn't already know about from the extensive news management ahead of the event itself. But what did we get? Well, we got a lot of crowing, for one thing. The UK is currently growing at a faster rate than any other major industrialised country, allowing George Osborne to tell us that it's all been worth it and now is no time to change course. And we did get some big announcements. Earlier in the week, the government revealed that it will raise the state pension age at a quicker pace than originally envisaged. And there are new measures relating to the taxation of property, both for foreign and UK-based owners. And there's a bit more detail on how the long-touted married couples allowance will work in practice. And indeed, let's start with that allowance. Claire Evans of Deloitte, can you remind us please how this allowance will work and what exactly is it? Of course, well, this is one of those measures that was hotly anticipated in the run-up to the autumn statement. So what's been proposed today is that from 2015, married couples or couples in a civil partnership will be able to transfer up to £1,000 of their personal allowance from one of the taxpayers to the other. This will be available where one taxpayer isn't using up their personal allowance and the other taxpayer is a basic rate taxpayer which in effect means that they can earn up to just slightly more than £40,000 to be eligible for this. Okay, so in terms of rough numbers, who stands to gain from this change and who will miss out? Well, people who will gain from this change are those where you have partnerships where one partner is earning and the other effectively isn't. So where you've got one partner that's earning, say, up to 40000 but the other partner isn't earning, then they will benefit from this. Of course, if you've got two partners which are both earning above the personal allowance limit, currently going up to 10000 then they will miss out on this. 
Okay, but this is part of a whole sort of web of tax and benefit measures that makes interpreting this quite difficult. I would have thought because there's the thing about child benefit, mm-hmm. which you lose above a certain level, mm-hmm. and there's also the various elements of working tax credits. So presumably, it's quite complicated, really, to work out whether you're going to be better off. It depends very much on your personal circumstances. That's absolutely right. So individuals or partnerships, families, where economically they might be very, very similar, depending on how those earnings are split between the partners they can have um, sort of net of tax, quite different outcomes. Okay. And the Chancellor made an interesting remark in his speech about this just being the start. What do you think he meant by that? Well, I think how I read that is that this may increase. So we're starting with £1,000 out of personal allowance of 10000 from 2015, that that will creep up. He, of course, said that this will be subject to an uprating mechanism. I think a, a new term there, which means that the £1,000 will rise in line with the increase in the personal allowance. But this sort of just to start means that perhaps it will accelerate. So there may well be more incentive than, than the pure sort of 10% that we've got at the moment. Okay, and finally, on personal taxation, there was a little bit more news about tax avoidance, and particularly regarding the use of so-called service companies. Can you describe that to us, please? Yes, what this is, is um, where individuals, to all intents and purposes, may may be seen to be employees or employees of a business set up on their own account and set up their own company to offer their services through the company. I think there'll be closer scrutiny. There is already provision to capture the revenue that those individuals earn to pay as you earn and um, employers national insurance contributions but i think we can expect greater scrutiny on that now going forwards okay thank you very much that was claire evans a tax partner at the accountancy firm deloitte now on to property anyone expecting a climb down on help to buy was in for a disappointment george osborne gleefully announced that two more lenders will be joining the controversial scheme and there was no change to the stamp duty land tax regime either which many have been calling for But there were some changes in the way property is taxed. I'm joined now by Paul Emery, a real estate director at PwC. Paul, first of all, there was some news that might impact anyone who owns a second home. Can you tell us a bit more about the changes to the cryptically named primary property relief? That's right. So this relief is the relief that exempts your main home in the UK from capital gains tax. And periods of non-occupation of that property as your main residence start to bring that gain into taxation. Now, the last three years of ownership of that property automatically qualifies for exemption from from capital gains tax. And the government have today announced that they're going to reduce that three-year period to 18 months. What sort of people could that affect in practice? Well, actually, this could affect a number of different types of people. It's going to affect people who are retiring, for example, across to Spain and people who retain their property in the UK. So that property will then start to creep into taxation because the three-year period of, of ownership, which is exempt, is going to be reduced. Other people who might be affected might be people going on to comment to work overseas. But actually, the government has recognised that where somebody goes into a care home, then the last three years that is going to remain exempt. So that will be a welcome relief. And do we know what rate the CGT will be levied at? Would it be the same as capital gains tax elsewhere? It, uh, I think that's right. It'll be 28%. 
for most people. Okay. And finally, there was some news also for, for rich foreigners who own property in the UK. We've been hearing a lot lately about how vast swathes of West London are now owned by rich Arabs, Russians, uh, Europeans. What's happening there? Because there have been quite a lot of changes in the tax system for those people recently. That's right. So we've already seen some changes which were introduced this year, and we're going to see yet more changes. So what's happening is that the capital gains tax on foreign ownership of UK property is now going to be extended so that individuals who own UK property are now going to be subject to capital gains tax, presumably again at 28%. Companies that own high-value residential property are already subject to the capital gains tax, and so presumably that will now be extended to companies that own property that is valued at below $2 million. I mean, that remains to be seen. We need to see the detail, but presumably that's the implication. So basically, non-UK residents who sell property are going to have to pay capital gains tax whether they hold that property in a corporate structure or whether they hold it in their own names. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. So I suppose the the slight surprise for people will be that last year and the year before during the consultation when the tax was introduced, the government said, well, these package of measures introduced along with the annual tax on envelope dwellings The whole purpose of those package of measures was to help encourage people to de-envelope, to take their properties out of companies. And the quid pro quo was that if you did that, you wouldn't be subject to capital gains tax. So people who've done that are now going to be very disappointed to find that they are now subject to the capital gains tax that they were told that they weren't going to be subject to. Okay, so it's a mansion tax in all but name, perhaps. Thank you very much. That was Paul Emery of PwC. On to our final item in our autumn statement special, pensions. The government announced earlier this week that millions more of us are going to have to work into what we would now consider our old age, i.e. past the age of, say, 68 or even 70. This isn't entirely surprising. The state pension age was already set to go up, and it is going up in many other countries too, as governments wrestle with the problem of ever fewer workers supporting ever more retirees. I'm joined now by Christine Ross, Head of Wealth Planning at SGPB Hambrose, the private bank. Christine, first of all, what has the government announced this week and whom does it affect the most? This week, the government has announced that they're going to bring forward the increase in the state pension age, retirement age, to 68, approximately 10 years earlier than had been anticipated. So it's going to affect people who now are not yet 50 years of age. So they already knew that the state pension age was going to go up to 66 in 2020 and again to 67 in 2028. And now this is an acceleration of an expectation that this this age is going to go up to generally, as the government says, ensure that people spend about a third of their life in retirement. This is linked to the fact that generally we all live longer. Okay. now just to be clear, this relates to the state pension age. If you want to stop working earlier than 68 or 70, presumably you can still do so. Is that right? You absolutely can stop working earlier than the state pension age. If you want to take benefits from a private pension scheme, you can do so from age 55. And many occupational schemes, so schemes provided by employers, offer retirement ages of 60 or perhaps 65. And normally, with the option to go earlier and take a reduced pension, normally 10 years earlier than the retirement age of that scheme. 
So presumably, if you are relying on the state pension to sort of top up an occupational or a private pension, you're going to have to make contingency plans for the, for the extra years that you're going to have to work. Are there any sort of obstacles to doing that other than the general sort of lack of money and pressure on real wages and so on? Well, certainly affordability is one issue, one obstacle to pension saving. And I think a less tangible obstacle is perhaps the general cynicism about pensions. First of all, because the state pension aid, well, frankly, the goalposts keep moving. We've had second state pension. Before that, we had state earnings-related pension, all these add-ons that have generally disappeared. And not a little of bad news in the private pension arena as well, historically. So all that put together, coupled with the fact that people really do want access to money along the way, to the extent that some people use other mechanisms for saving individual savings accounts that don't give tax relief but allow tax-free savings. Other than that, the main obstacle will be the reduction in the overall amount of pension saving that anybody can actually make. Right, this is the lifetime and annual allowances, isn't it? Now, there were no changes to these in this statement, were there? There were no changes to the pre-announced reduction in the amount that one can save annually and during one's lifetime. So the lifetime allowance will reduce next year from the current level of 1.5 million to 1.25 million. There is what's called transitional protection, that if somebody wants to stop saving at all in any sort of tax-relievable pension, they can protect that 1.5 million. It's called fixed protection. From an annual contribution point of view, currently the contribution limit is £50,000 a year, and that is reducing to a maximum of £40,000 from next year. It all sounds very, very complicated. It's perhaps no surprise that we are not saving enough for retirement. Was the increase in the state pension age a big shock, do you think, or did we kind of know that was coming? I think it was generally expected that there would continue to be increases in the state pension age, not least because just of the affordability of public pensions. This is going to save, albeit over a very long time, approximately £400 billion. And taken into account the two measures already announced, the increase to 66 and 67, a total of £500 billion. Stratospheric numbers, really. Over very long time periods. That was Christine Ross of SGPB Hambrose. There were lots of other little details in the awesome statement. Exchange-traded funds, for instance, will no longer pay stamp duty on the shares they acquire, while rail fares will rise only in line with inflation, as opposed to 1% above inflation. And the venerable car tax disc is to be scrapped although regrettably not the tax itself. All these and many more will be scrutinised in great detail in this weekend's FT Money, which is available from all good news agents as part of FT Weekend. You can also read FT Money on tablets, on Kindle and online at www.ft.com forward slash money. But that's all from the FT Money Show this week. We'll be back next week with another FT Money Show in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Claire Evans, Paul Emery, and Christine Ross. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.